mental health care should not just be brought in and offered when somebody's, you know, so far down the line that they're putting their hand up and asking for the help. If they've put their hand up and asked, you've probably left it too long. Welcome back to 40 Minute Mentor, the podcast on a mission to raise aspirations and inspire the next generation of category-defining founders. From purpose-led entrepreneurs to Olympic champions, you'll learn firsthand from today's successful leaders on what it takes to be brilliant, all in just 40 minutes. According to the Mental Health Foundation, better mental health support in the workplace can save UK businesses up to £8 billion a year. And with that mic drop worthy stat, we enter our second installment of our 40 Minute Mentor Wellbeing series. Today, we're joined by Sancha Sahin, the co founder of Olivar, the employee mental wellbeing platform for companies who want their people to show up feeling their best and do their best work. By combining one to one therapy and coaching, self guided content, live talks, dedicated support for managers, and mental fitness classes, all led by a curated team of top professionals. Olivar helps employees respond to whatever hurdles life throws at them, big or small, at work and beyond. Evidence suggests that over 50% of all sickness days in the UK can be attributed to mental health conditions. So I cannot wait to dig into what employers can do to significantly improve well-being at work and build a culture in which people can truly open up about their mental health. Welcome, Sanja. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. How are you? Hey, James. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Um, and before we dive into all things, Oliver, and, and learning about your career, I'd love to get to know you a little bit better. And I'm sure our listeners will too. So we'll start with some quick fire questions. Uh, so please finish these sentences after me. Well-being means to me to take responsibility for what gives me energy, what takes away energy, and the boundaries that I set to set myself up for success. Great answer. Thank you. Second question. A misconception people have about me is? That I'm easygoing. I'm actually quite neurotic. (laughs) Okay. Why do people think you're easygoing out of interest? I think on the outside, I can appear quite easygoing. And, you know, if you interact with me in most scenarios um i would probably come across quite easygoing but if for those who really know me and have seen me in my most stressful moments and the things i get stressed about they'll know my neuroses in a little bit more detail okay well thank you for sharing that appreciate it the last time i cried was when when my sister died um so my sister died uh just over a year ago i'm so sorry thank you for sharing this that i really appreciate it i look after my mental health by so kind of what I was saying before, so trying to set and protect my boundaries, understanding myself, what makes me tick, what gives me energy, what takes away my energy, and optimizing for that as much as possible. And kind of more practically speaking, I have a dog, I make sure I'm outside as much as possible, walking the dog to try and disconnect from the screen. Uh, I try and eat healthily. Um, I'm definitely not perfect at any of these things. I don't really go to the gym that much, to be frank, but I I try and just understand what makes me tick and then optimize as much as possible for that and not be too hard on myself when I'm not very good at it. That last point is is really important, isn't it? We all go through these periods of trying to live that perfect existence and it's just not realistic, is it, in modern day life to do all the things. If you're trying to build positive habits around a lot of this 
health and well-being, then that's a good start. And you can fall off the wagon. You can have bad days. 100%. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to tell you that I wake up at 6 a.m. every morning, go for a 15-mile run, um, you know, meditate for 45 minutes and then, you know, drink a, a green smoothie. But uh, it's, it's just not the case. Yeah, I think uh, perfection in the routine doesn't really exist. So you've just got to get a little bit better every day. Yeah, 100%. Everyone listening to this will have seen those posts about those perfect days, which... Uh, I think are all bullshit. To be honest, <laughs> this is this comes from somebody that was due to wake up at six thirty today. Overslept. My daughter came in and was in my face at like seven fifteen, going, "Daddy, I need bre- breakfast. I'm starving." I'm like, "Oh god, the day has started off terribly." Final question: If there was one thing I could change about entrepreneurship, it would be the toxicity, the bro culture, all of that kind of crap. You're not the first person to say that, and I couldn't agree more already really appreciate how uh, open and vulnerable you've been in those quickfire questions and i'm really looking forward to digging in more to your career so for those that don't know you you've had a very successful marketing career uh, working with the likes of typeform and hotjar to name a few uh, before you decided to go all in on entrepreneurship and build olivar so uh, can you share a bit more about your earlier career uh, in marketing and what sort of made you go it, uh, into entrepreneurship and start your own business so I always saw myself as a creative, I guess. So when I was, you know, at college age and university age, I was really into creating content in some way. And you've got to understand this is 20 plus years ago, right? So this is not, you know, this is pre-Instagram and all of this kind of stuff. You know, I would like to kind of make music and little like radio shows and, you know, nerdy stuff uh, like like that. I You know, I, I got into like amateur photography and all of this kind of stuff. A uh, bit of writing. I studied radio production at university, and I was pretty certain that I wanted to go into making radio documentaries. You know, I wanted to be behind the microphone, piecing together, editing together stories about, you know, about real things. And I was pretty certain I wanted to do that. Having gone through university, as is very common, especially in the UK, I think, you know, people do three years of a degree and then realize that they don't want to do anything to do with that degree they've just done i realized that you know the actual industry uh of radio was wasn't quite what i wanted or expected uh you know it's quite hard to get by it was quite hard to you know really forge a, a career in it and um you know it kind of felt more like a desk job with a microphone to me so it just didn't quite feel like what i what i wanted it to be so I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Uh, and I fell into a job for an early stage startup. I moved to Barcelona when I was about 22, having no idea if I would be there for a few months or a few years. I ended up being there for 15 years. And I was very lucky because when I arrived, it was kind of the beginning of the Barcelona startup ecosystem. So today it's a thriving startup and technology hub. And there's, there are some incredible companies coming out of it and some, you know, with kind of billion dollar valuations, not that it's all about that, but just to kind of give an idea of how it's grown. When I went to Barcelona, you know, there were just a few of these startups and they were trying to emulate what they were seeing in Silicon Valley, you know, in terms of these like fancy offices and, you know, flexible working, all of that. So it was a very interesting time to go. And I was lucky to get a position at a early stage company where I was like, okay, this is, this is startups. Like this was all new to me, you know, as in a kind of marketing and sales role. And it just started from there. I just went to different startups in marketing roles. And I learned that I could bring this kind of creative side of me to this business side. You know, I could use the creative side to actually have an impact 
in business, somehow I could forge a career out of it. So that's, that's kind of how it happened. And then was lucky to be a part of a few other early stage startups that went on to be very successful. So a lot of luck, um, a lot of kind of randomness, but, you know, trying to bring together things that I enjoyed. So I never really set out to found my own startup, but I did know that I wanted to keep building things from an early stage. And when the pandemic hit, as with many of us, I think it became very, very clear that I wanted something meaningful. Like I really wanted to be waking up every day, doing something that felt meaningful um, to me. So I was uh, fortunate to be introduced by an ex-colleague and a, and a friend to um, a guy called Javi Suarez, who um, previously co-founded uh, a company called Travel Perk, which is another Barcelona startup that did extremely, extremely well and grew to huge proportions in a short amount of time. Both of us, it turned out, had gone through experiences of burnout in our roles. And both of us had looked for support from a professional, i.e. A, a therapist, and found the whole experience to be completely backwards, old-fashioned, chaotic, cumbersome, all of that kind of stuff. And so we really connected on the problem we had experienced, the lack of solution that we had experienced, and what we wanted to do about it. So that's when we decided to come together. Amazing. And how have you found that? shift into founder life and, and what advice would you have for any other fellow marketers that are, are thinking about making a similar sort of move don't do it no, i'm joking so i mean of course so i've loved it on the whole I, I i love it you know mostly because of the mission that kind of sits at the bottom of all of this what we're trying to achieve and the people we help but also you know just being able to kind of create your own destiny and you know have a vision and make it come true as being incredible and i think that's the amazing side of doing you know going your own way you can literally be sat down with your co-founder talking over a beer talking about all of the dreams you have for how this could look and you know how we could um give people access to high quality mental health care and you know the ways we would enable that you know you can go from talking about it to fast forwarding a little bit where you're actually you've got it and you can it's tangible and you you can put it in the hands of real people and that's the amazing side of going it alone, you know, taking something from just an idea in your mind to, to something that really exists, which is incredible. But of course, it's, it's, it comes with a lot of stress. It comes with a lot of anxiety. You're responsible for real people. Um, you know, we're responsible for, for our employees, but more so we're not selling SaaS. You know, my world is pure SaaS. Typeform was a, was a form and survey builder. Uh, Hotjar was a, well, they still are. Um, you know, web analytics tool. This is technology. It has a lot of similarities, but we're talking about real people and real relationships and real problems and real challenges and real outcomes. You can't mess around with this stuff. Um, so that comes with the good, which is the, the impact you can have, but it also comes with a lot of responsibility uh, and anxiety sometimes as well. We've talked a little bit about Aliva, but for those that don't know, what the business is tell us a bit about where that idea came from how it works and what our listeners could expect by signing up in summary oliva is a workplace mental well-being platform and partnership so we don't just give you a bit of software and a platform and leave you alone we partner with you to make it successful and make it land make it actually have an impact we sell to generally the hr manager the benefits manager the employee experience manager within organizations anywhere from agencies of five people 
all the way up to companies of 3,000 uh, and sometimes more um, people. They launch it into the company as an employee benefit. So much like they would for you know uh, private medical insurance or corporate gym memberships and things like that, it's launched as a foundational employee benefit. So as a company, we're not responsible for everybody's mental health, you know, as employers, but we are responsible for providing a psychologically safe environment while these employees are part of our journey. We are responsible for providing high quality support and resources so that other people can take responsibility for their own well-being. We do have a, a role to play in terms of responsibility when it comes to our employees' mental health. We're not there to hold hands and to be parental you know we're there to offer the right tools so in short we're a workplace mental well-being platform we're rolled out as an employee benefit to all of the employees in the company we have a web app and you can access through mobile as well the employees can access on-demand mental well-being support without having to raise their hand and ask for it so it's completely confidential they can just log straight in and they can access things like one-to-one -one coaching one-to-one -one therapy. They can access mental health classes in a group format, uh, which are a little bit more interactive. They can access exclusive Oliva talks, they're called. So they're like TED-style talks, but all around mental well-being and, you know, under 20 minutes designed to inspire you to think a bit differently about your mental health. We just had an incredible talk by uh, a sexologist, for example, talking about how your sex life impacts your work life. Um, so things like this, you know, we, we push you to think a little bit differently um, and don't just serve up the, the usual mundane content that nobody, nobody wants to actually use. So we have all of these different ways that you can support your own mental well-being, both proactively and reactively. So proactively, you know, it's like going to the gym. You build that muscle to, to be able to weather the storm that all of us have to go through in life. And reactively, if you're struggling with something in particular, be it going through a divorce, being a, a brand new parent, be it a family um, bereavement or whatever it might be, or a diagnosis like OCD, we can support with that with highly specialized um, and experienced and certified therapists and psychologists. I love it. It's an amazing mission. And, you know, as somebody who has suffered from burnout and anxiety, his family members have had quite severe challenges around mental health and have lost friends to suicide. I wish this existed earlier in my career when, when I actually feel like I really could have needed it. And it's just amazing to see how uh, things have shifted now to this being very mainstream and something that a lot of companies and, and people are taking much more seriously because I think it will save lives and I think it will make a lot of organizations, much better places to work. Huge kudos to you for building it. Sorry to hear that you've been through those those things as well. Um, the 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 sad truth is that it's it's very common. You know, if you think about it, when if you look at your organization, let's say you have a hundred people, two hundred people, five hundred people, whatever, you kind of zoom into each of those minds. There's something going on in every single one of those minds. So if you assess your employee mental health as are people burnt out or not? Has somebody told me they're depressed or not? If that's the level you go to to assess, do I need to offer support? You're going too shallow. Because everybody has something and everybody is traveling through this thing called life. And life is not all sunshine and rainbows. People die, pets die, 
Um, you know, people get divorced, uh, people struggle with identity issues, people get bullied, people get sexually assaulted, you know, people are dealing with this stuff all of the time. And as you mentioned, um, suicide, unfortunately, is a huge issue. It's the single biggest killer for men aged under 45, it's, which is incredible. So yeah, it's, it's important that we remember that mental health care should not just be brought in and offered when somebody's you know so far down the line that they're putting their hand up and asking for the help if they've put their hand up and asked you've probably left it too long it's so true when i hear this and i see the more open conversations being had now it fills me with a lot of hope when i was at university a friend played in the same rugby team as i you know he was suffering none of us knew none of us talked about it a typical blokey mentality all thought everything was sunshine and rainbows and beers and fun and you know and and one day friends went back to their house and and he had committed suicide and it was the biggest shock and although that happened it probably still was 10 15 years until maybe some of those people and some of us have actually felt we could talk about some of these things and actually be be more open and vulnerable about that experience but also our own mental health and so i really am so happy that this is becoming more mainstream and it's great to see since launching in 2020 that you're now you know active in over 30 countries you work with companies like sifted learnably marshmallow it's just awesome to see and i hope it will continue to scale i wanted to ask what have been for you the biggest challenges of scaling a you know mental health startup since you launched one of the big challenges with what we do is like i said at the beginning it's not just technology it's not just you know SaaS. it's technology plus people and different groups of people you have the the practitioners who provide the care and you have the end users that receive the care so kind of scaling and keeping a high level of quality is our north star essentially you know how do we maintain ultra high quality while scaling up you know both the number of people accessing the platform and the people providing the care on the platform what we noticed very early on is with other providers, and you you only have to Google this in the U.S. to see all the bad press that's been surrounding, you know, some of the U.S.-based providers that do this at a massive scale. They often neglect the mental health practitioner as an important piece of the puzzle. So they treat them as, as a commodity, essentially. What happens through that is it completely lowers the standard of care because they're human beings, right? So if if they don't feel good going to work and they don't have the right tooling to do their work properly, they don't have the right support, of course they're not going to do as good a job at doing what they're there to do. And these people, they care. They want to provide care. But if you as a business, in the, in the name of scale, make that more difficult for them, you know, by making them feel more isolated, by not providing that tooling for them, that will have an impact on on the quality of care and then that's going to have an impact on real lives it's something we've embedded deeply into our business from day one to give an example the first senior hire that we made as a business was our chief clinical officer dr sarah beta she has nearly 40 years of experience in the space uh was one of the first people to to actually introduce cbt therapy to the nhs in the uk like very renowned in the space we could have easily, at that stage, you know, we were extremely early stage. We could have easily done what everybody else did and either not hire any clinical expertise at all into the team and just use marketing to basically say that, you know, we're, we're clinical, uh, which, 
you, you would be surprised how much this happens today, how many providers there are that don't have a single clinical profile on their team. Or we could have had some kind of pseudo hire, you know, like a therapist, not to downgrade the, the value of a therapist, but in terms of senior decision-making at scale, we truly believe you need somebody with the experience to back up those decisions. So we could have easily have made those easy decisions to save cost, to save complexity. But from day one, it was very, very clear to us that the quality of the care would be embedded into the whole system. It's a great way of doing it. I've heard incredible things about the business. What's been your personal highlight so far of the last few years? The thing I reference quite a lot is a bit of user feedback that we got very early on. So when, you know, we had hardly launched into many companies at all. So it was very early. And to be completely frank, you know, our offering was still quite thin on the ground. At that point, we were only offering one-to-one -one video sessions with therapists. Since then, we've launched a bigger variety of ways to access support and in different ways that suits you. But somebody wrote in the, in the feedback, they just wrote, this platform saved my life. Now, I don't know if they meant that literally or figuratively. I, I don't know. But to be honest, it doesn't really matter to me. Like, just that, that is something that anchors me back a lot when we continue doing what we're doing. I, I think about that comment a lot. And that is why we do it. So that was a highlight for me, just the idea that somebody probably didn't have easy access to mental health support before their company put their money where their mouth was and truly said, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to back up these fancy claims we make about being people first, etc., by providing you proper support. It's amazing the company that, you know, when companies do this, that company did that. And because of that, somebody who would not have had easy access to high quality mental health support before now had easy access and could write a comment like that. That's something that always anchors me back. Yeah, the ultimate validation of the work you're doing. I mean, that's incredible. I guess there are going to be founders and uh, managers and, and people leaders listening to this that will be like, amazing. Like, this sounds incredible. Who is Oliver best suited to? And what results have some of your clients seen since you started the business? We work with companies from tiny agencies of just a few people to larger mid-market, I would say, type companies. So kind of up to 3,000 employees. We can work with bigger, but to be completely frank, our sweet spot is probably for that mid-market, you know, anywhere from a couple of hundred employees to, to 3,000 employees, more or less. That's where we can really roll out the red carpet for you and really be a partner to you, offer you extra uh, resources because these companies are stretched in terms of their resources. You know, they don't, they can't afford to have like huge well-being teams, you know, so it's always a concern for them. Like I speak to um, companies every day that say, look, I, I really care about this for my team. You know, how do I launch this? Like, how do I advocate for this over time? Like, how do I, you know, embed this into our culture? I've got a million other things to think about and I don't have a team dedicated to this. So what we do is we make that as easy as possible for you. We have designers on hand, data scientists on hand. We have a dedicated well-being partner. So basically we're an extended team for you. So that's where we can really roll out the red carpet, that kind of mid-market um, category, I would say. But we do work with small agencies. Like I said, you know, they can get access to the platform and, and get a lot of value from it. We, you know, we work with all different types of um, companies and different industries as well, actually, interestingly as well. I can't exactly 100% confirm this because I don't have access to other providers' data. But from what I've seen, heard 
from our own analysis, we've got pretty like industry record-breaking engagement rate. That the average EAP, Employee Assistance Program, they're kind of really well known for getting to one to five percent of the whole company if if you're lucky. Like they're just not used by anybody because they're so old-fashioned, clunky. The whole business model is designed not to encourage usage but to discourage usage. The minute that anybody you know, a significant number of people actually use it, the whole business model breaks. We've flipped that on its head. So we typically get more than 50% of the company engaging with our platform meaningfully. So not just logging in, like meaningfully engaging. And in many cases, much, much more. And of course, like engagement is quite subjective because, you know, it depends on the time period. It depends on the challenges in your company at the time. But we see really, really incredible engagement rates. So first of all, the impact is we can get to a large population in your company. We've proven that. We can really get to the majority of, of your company. That's one. Two is we get extremely high satisfaction scores from people who use our services, be it one-to-one -one therapy or our group classes, you know, very, very high satisfaction. And three, we've got proven what's called reliable improvement. So we can actually prove that our services are having a scientifically measurable impact on people's well-being. So this is measured with clinical surveys called GAD7, PHQ9. It basically tells you, is there a marked difference in this person's well-being from when they first came to us versus once they've um, engaged with our services? We've got those kind of proof points. And then from the companies, what we hear is there's this in incredible employer branding opportunity. We hear their employees saying, this is the best perk we've ever been given. We don't like to describe ourselves as a perk, but it's fine. We get these incredible comments on G2 and Google reviews. Like you can see employees of companies going online to write a review. So think about it. These are people who, if you talk about stigma around mental health, they've broken through the wall of stigma and they're going online, putting their name to a review about how they've done therapy with us and loved it. So we get all of this qualitative feedback as well. And then what we hear from companies is that we have a tangible impact on employee retention from the point of view of the company really putting their money where their mouth is and saying, we care about you. Here's the proof. We're going to offer you this. But also think about it. Like if you are with your therapist that is provided through a platform that your work is paying for, you're pretty locked into that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if, you, if you're working with a therapist you love, uh, so yeah, we, we just get this incredible uh, feedback from, from companies, which is great. Awesome. I wanted to come on to, to talking about burnout. It's something that you touched upon, you've experienced, it's something that I have, and I'm sure many of our listeners can relate, particularly during the pandemic when it seemed like there was nothing else to do. So we all just overworked and probably didn't look after ourselves enough. Can you tell us just a bit about your experience? What led to it? What were some of the early warning signs that perhaps you should have been aware of or going forward? be aware of most people i speak to who have experienced burnout they had a moment of realization and actually they're the lucky ones right we're the lucky ones when something is obviously put in front of your face which kind of you know puts a mirror in front of you and you're like okay something is not right here obviously a lot of people kind of would just keep going without realizing that and that's where it can be quite dangerous but i was lucky to have that realization and that happened when i finished work on a friday i went back home and as my girlfriend and I often did on a, on a Friday after work, we would order a, a takeaway curry. I did the ordering on Deliveroo and I ordered what I thought was two chicken tikka masalas. Right. What I actually ordered was two chicken tikkas. 
your listeners who uh, are curry fans, you'll know the one has sauce, you know, it's like a meal. And, and the other one is just bits of chicken, you know, without the sauce. So when it arrived and I realized my mistake, I was so angry with myself. It really ruined my evening. I was just like pissed off. I, I just thought I was completely useless. How useless am I? I can't even like order a curry correctly. Like how can I lead a marketing team and how can I be a successful partner? How can I, you know, all of that kind of stuff. I just felt completely useless. And my girlfriend just looked at me and said, something's not right. Like it, it's just a curry. It doesn't matter. And actually what we got is quite nice. You know, we can put some tomato sauce on it. <laughs> you know? and, uh, and that was the moment where I was like, okay, yeah. So that's when I started looking for a therapist, kind of got onto that journey of unpacking what I had been experiencing. And looking back now, I can reflect and say the reason I got myself into that position is not because of work, not because work was asking me to work too much or whatever it might be. Because ultimately it was my responsibility. My well-being is my responsibility. I essentially didn't understand myself that well. I couldn't articulate my values. I couldn't articulate what gave me energy, what took away energy. I couldn't protect boundaries. You know, I couldn't do that effectively. I couldn't say no enough. And that's what led to me being in that position. So how to avoid being in that position is basically learning the practical skills to be able to set those boundaries, to articulate your values, to understand what gives you energy and what takes away energy and to optimize your, your time and life a bit more for that. I, I'm sure a lot of people out there will really appreciate and relate to what you've just said. I think back on the times, and unfortunately it's plural, where I burnt out. I think in the early days of running JBM, I, I almost very foolishly saw it as a bit of a badge of honor, you know, that you you work so hard, so intense, like so focused, so 24 seven, just to kind of build something. And you realize actually you're, you're not working in a productive way. You're not working smart and you're just actually making a lot of mistakes because you're knackered and you're probably not being that much fun to be around. I had quite a few moments where I was, would get ill. I'd have panic attacks. I'd be doing crazy things in the night, just waking up. I think I've told this story on, uh, on the podcast before, but when my daughter came along, you know, I was sort of five years into running my business, was working long hours, high pressure, and I worked even harder, even though I was very sleep deprived, yeah, struggling with the whole concept of being a dad because I just felt I wasn't prepared for it. And my wife was incredible, you know, taking the vast majority of the slack. But I, I woke up one night and I was trying to wind my wife because I thought it was, you know, I was in some weird trance where I'd been so used to winding the baby at night time and she was like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> it's just things like that. And it, yeah, you realize like, well, there's a lot going on here. You need to take some time for yourself and you've got to unpack some of this stuff. A whole load of stress and anxiety like building up in me. And Was there a point of realization where you went from, you know, seeing it as a badge of honor, like this is what you're supposed to do when building a business. This is how you win. You know, was there a point of realization between that and actually there could be another way, you know, maybe this isn't, isn't. Yeah, there was actually, and I'm thankful for it, but I'm also annoyed with myself that it took the pandemic to realize. I continue to work these slightly insane hours, like a lot of people do, not sort of humble bragging. It, it was in hindsight, a really stupid, <laughs> the, the amount I worked, because I don't think I was that effective. I, and it was only the pandemic when I was forced to be at home all day, spend really good quality time with my daughter and my wife. I didn't have to commute every day and I live in Sussex. So it's two and a half hour commute a day. Just realized, wow, I, I can go for a walk every day. I can. I can do every bedtime, every bath time. And I've never looked back, kind of claimed back a big chunk of my life and realized how important 
that was to me. Uh, even though I always knew it was, I felt I had to work really hard to provide for my family. Uh, it was this kind of warped mentality. And I, I really, really regret the first, you know, a lot of that because I missed big chunks of my daughter's life. And anyone that knows me knows that that is really what is most important to me is being a dad and, and a husband and family comes first. So for me, it was a big moment of realization. Yeah, no, it's, I appreciate you sharing it. And I think it's so common that when you get these moments of realization and, you know, you go on the journey to learn about yourself and reflect, it's really common to feel guilty about it and annoyed at yourself about like, why didn't I know this or do this before? But if you think about it, if you did, that realization would never have been there. So it's just, it's just kind of like unrealistic, you know, life is progression and learning these things and to expect to, to know all of this stuff straight away is unrealistic, if you know what I mean. So it's good that some of us are lucky to get those moments of realization so that we can make adjustments earlier rather than later. Some people go their whole lives without ever coming to these realizations. You're so, so right. I guess we've talked around some of the highs and lows, I guess I've shared some of the roller coaster emotions that come with founder life and, and you'll be experiencing this now. And I think I saw a LinkedIn post of you where you talked about entrepreneurs being two times more likely to suffer depression compared to the general population. So how are you looking after your mental health right now? And for any founders that are listening that are kind of very conscious that perhaps their mental health is being detrimentally impacted by current behaviors or just sort of routine, like what advice can you give them? For me, what I've learned is it's a constant iteration and it's not about okay i've learned this about myself so i'm going to correct it and now i'm perfect at that like often i'll go back into bad habits even though i've already learned that that bad habit can can damage my mental health so for example i know that i feel 10x better from going for a walk at lunchtime getting outside of the house and walking and just listening to a podcast or music or nothing versus if I don't do that and I have a quick lunch and I go back to, to work. But still, when I feel like I've got a massive to-do list and I just need to get through stuff, I'll still convince myself that the better option is to plow through the work rather than go for the walk. But I know it's not good for me. So first of all, what I've learned is just to be a little bit less hard on myself and just to allow myself to just remember that this is what's good for me, this is what's bad for me, and, and just, you know, kind of get myself out of that bad habit as much as possible. It's not always possible. And two is, there are certain things that I've tried to build into my routine that, um, again, I'm not perfect at doing them, but I know they help, so I try and do them as much as possible. But simple things like, I stop drinking coffee after 12 o'clock, uh, so I still like coffee. I actually now squeeze in like a couple of cups before 12, but after 12, I stopped drinking it because I've seen that it affects my sleep. Red wine, I love it, but it massively impacts my sleep, like negatively, I think, because of the sugar. It just makes me a really light sleeper, so I hardly drink red wine. Like I said, I you know I try and get out with my dog as much as possible and just um, get as much sunlight as possible. Not always easy in London. More than anything, protect my boundaries. So we do something which some of your listeners will have come across uh, called a user manual for everybody in Oliva. Everybody, when they joins, they write their own user manual, which basically is a instruction book for how to work with that person. So they say things like, I'm an introvert, so I appreciate time to digest information and be alone. You know, don't be offended. I just like to spend time by myself or I'm an extrovert. So you might see me like pinging you left, right and center on these channels, but I'm not expecting a response. 
So we kind of tell people how to work with us. I try and update that user manual and really more for myself than anyone else. And that allows me to continuously learn about what makes me tick. For example, when we do company offsites, I used to always volunteer to share a room because, you know, it saves costs. It's the thing to do. It's sociable. You know, it just feels like the right thing to do. I'm a founder. Like, you know, of course I should, you know, be modeling that behavior. But now I've learned if I don't have a room to myself where I can just go back and just digest and, and just have time to myself, I, I lose energy and I just can't be a good participant of that event. So I always have a room to myself now. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for sharing. And what advice do you have for any leaders listening to this who want to make their teams feel more comfortable with opening up when it comes to mental health and well-being? Like what can they do to create that sort of environment? It really starts with uh, the people leading the company. They need to model the behavior that they want to see. So if they want people to be more vulnerable, be more vulnerable. If they want people to set healthier boundaries, set healthier boundaries. It just doesn't make sense to say things to people like, come as your whole self, you know, tell us when you're, you know, when you're struggling at home or whatever. If the leaders are, you know, macho, bro culture, hustle culture guys, and just like not modeling any of that behavior. So it starts with modeling the behavior you want to see and really standing behind your your words. That's where psychological safety comes from. Psychological unsafety comes from when people say things like, come to work as your whole self. And then somebody comes in and says, I'm just not feeling that motivated today. Like I'll be good tomorrow. Like I think I can get myself back on track. But like today, I think I just need to do some admin tasks because I'm not feeling motivated. And the manager says, well, you know, what the hell are you doing here? Like that's where psychological unsafety comes from because you're asking somebody to come and be honest and be themselves but then you're setting a completely unrealistic expectation. Leave from the front, uh, model the behavior that you want to see and stand behind your words. Great advice, Sanjar, thank you. Before we get to our wrapper questions, I just wanted to ask, yeah, obviously outside of offering Oliva, what are some of the best wellbeing and mental health benefits that you've seen businesses offer that have a real impact for employees that we can leave our listeners with? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's, it's less so perks and things like this, and it's more flexibility, the way they do policies, the way they give feedback as well, you know, just making sure everybody knows where they stand, everybody knows what their expectations are. That's what provides psychological safety, and that's the foundation of good mental health. And then you can add on things like Oliva. If you bring something like Oliva and everyone's afraid to use it because there's no psychological safety and there's no trust, you're not going to get that much value from Oliva, you know? So we can help with those things, but you, it needs to start with you. But yeah, you know, things like uh, making it clear to people who menstruate, for example, that if, you, if you're struggling on a particular day or a couple of days and, you know, it's just taking away your energy, that's an okay reason not to show up for a day. You know, that kind of thing, like making it very, very clear, making it a very inclusive uh, environment for people, not just changing your logo to the rainbow flag once a year, but actually doing small actions that make people feel included, no matter who they are, what their background is. It really starts with just those small actions, not these not these fancy, fancy statements and perks. So true. Being thoughtful, meaningful, and the actions you take, not tokenistic or box ticking which we see sadly a lot these do yeah so true Sajja, it's, it's been a real pleasure so much there for our listeners to think through be inspired by i really love what you're building and definitely encourage our clients listening and listeners to really check it out and encourage 
your bosses, if you're listening and, and you don't feel you're being supported in this way, whether it's founders or people departments to really think seriously about it. We've got three final quick wrap up questions, Sanchar. In, in one sentence, what do you think the future holds for Oliva? Much bigger scale, much bigger impact and a lot of innovation. And if you could be mentored by anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? My granddad, he's unfortunately now passed away, but yeah, he was an incredible mentor. Lovely answer. Uh, and finally, what is the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Actually from my granddad as well. He used to always say, talking about like cow paths, we used to walk through fields and things, right? We, he lived in the country and he would say, some days you step in it and some days you don't. And that always stuck with me. Now, some days it's going to go your way and some days it's not going to go your way. And that's that's fine. Wise words. Your granddad sounds like a very, yeah, a very good mentor. Um, Sajja, thank you so much. It's been great to have you on the show and to hear your mentorship and all about Oliver. So thanks for, for sharing. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. I couldn't think of a better 40-minute mentor for Mental Health Awareness Week. Sanchar was refreshingly open and honest with us, and I really do love Olivar's mission. If you did too, and you'd like to find out more, then please do follow the links in the show notes. Before we go, I also wanted to thank you, our loyal listeners, for your ongoing support. We couldn't do this without you, and we love hearing and seeing your feedback in the review section, so please do keep them coming. This podcast also wouldn't be possible without our amazing partners and sponsors. So if you're a brand looking to get direct access to founders, investors, C-suite executives, or other C-suite decision makers, then please make sure you drop our head of marketing, Hannah, a note on hannah at jbmc.co.uk. She'd love to tell you more about our sponsorship packages. That's all from us today, but please do tune in again next week for some more pocket-sized mentorship.